0: You'll see ETH is the underdog once again. Like the takes that I'm seeing on Twitter are like nation state level FUD. Um, but that's kind of what you need. You need your coin to get beaten down to the point where it's the underdog and it's just a death march. And once you're on the death march, it's like fuck the price. Like we're just gonna keep putting one foot in front of the other and that's when cool things happen
1: all right everyone we will be back to the program in just a moment but before we do i want to share something that Blockworks has been cooking up for these last couple of months march of this coming year in london blockworks is hosting das london the largest institutionally focused conference in all of crypto goldman jp morgan 0.72 all in one room so you can know what the big money is doing so click the link at the bottom of this episode it'll take you right over to the homepage, and use bell 20 for 20 percent off i will see you in sunny london town in march all right everyone welcome back to another episode of bell curve before we jump in. Quick disclaimer the views expressed by my co-host today are their personal views and they do not represent the views of any organization with which the co-hosts are associated with. Uh, nothing in the episode is construed or relied upon as financial, technical, tax, legal, or other advice. You know the deal. Now let's jump into the episode. All right everyone, welcome back to another episode of Bell Curve. You got Michaels one and two and Vance for our special end of year predictions episode fellas pumped for this one
0: these are fun oh, yeah
1: these are a blast these are good um and, uh maybe it, it makes sense to to start this one off by just going back and we did one of these last year at the end of the year and we should kind of score ourselves here on
2: <laughs> i was gonna say t- typically these prediction episodes are just like let's throw anything out and like there's no retribution whatsoever and so let's let's you know hold ourselves in check here
1: let's see how we did All right. I think that's a good idea. I think that's a good idea. Very high integrity move of us to do. Um, All right. Let's start with uh, Vance's predictions here. So ZK EVMs disappoint. Those things take longer to come out. I would score that as correct overall. What do you think? I think the optimistic rollups are still in the driver's seat. And I feel like we're still waiting on a lot of the ZK stuff. I was looking
2: at it uh, last night. zk Polygon ZK EVM has had a total of 13,000 transactions.
0: I, I think it's just um, like, it's weird, the ZK EVMs, I guess ZK Sync has had like a lot of transactions because people are like farming the airdrop kind of mercenary like, but I, I would I would say next year is what we think will be a breakout year for ZK EVM just because Immutable X is launching uh, their ZK EVM alongside Passport and like, you know, I, I think like generally one prediction that I have, and Michael has, and and probably you too, Mike uh, Ippolito, is the second one of these platforms gets like a million users, like the ground can really shift beneath people's feet in terms of like, oh, is it like Solana or Nier, or is it like immutable with like a shitload of gaming users? Um, And so maybe we'll save the prediction, but I still think zkEVM is going to have a nice year next year, just because like... It's becoming the platform of games on on the EVM at least. Uh,
2: Yeah, save the prediction. Uh, I think this is probably not right in 2023, but probably correct in 24.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that was your point as well. It was just like sort of a pattern matching thing of this is obviously going to be huge, but it's just going to take a little bit longer than everyone is expecting. Everyone was kind of pricing it in like it was going to be huge this year, which it wasn't. (laughs) Um, Okay. Uh, Visa and MasterCard will build out feature-rich payment rails. I would also score that is I don't really know about Mastercard, but I feel like Visa leaned in pretty big this year, like just yep. in terms of they're doing really interesting stuff around account abstraction. Um, I feel like maybe they haven't rolled out a ton of stuff yet, but I do feel like they leaned in. So
2: in in, in September they they had their partnership announcement with USDC and Circle, where they would start settling transactions in USDC. <clears throat> the announcement of the partnership. Who knows how long the activation will take? But I'd say you know, at least at least from a PR perspective,
1: that's a win. Yeah, we can score that on. A, we can score that as a, a half point there. Um, all right, these next two are interesting. So these are both L uh L two predictions. So at one point, an L two might blow up. We haven't had that happen yet, but. <laughs> Things are looking a little riskier on some of the some, <laughs> some of the L2 <laughs> fronts, so you might have just been a little early on that prediction. We'll still see. Uh, maybe score that as a half point two, and then uh, there won't be a L1 with more TVL than an L2, which I would actually again score that on a half point because I think TVL. Some of the alt L1s did uh, fall pretty drastically in TVL, but there are some other L1s today that have more TVL than L2s, so maybe. Maybe not as much on that one.
0: Solana, I'm guessing, is the one.
1: Solana, yeah. I think Avalanche as well, actually. But um, but yeah, Solana reflipping some of the L2s. Half point? Yeah,
0: half
1: point, baby. All right, Michael. I actually think Michael gets the uh, my personal award for best, best prediction, which was broad Bitcoin cohort comes together to realize that we need to change course, which is... <laughs> That we didn't get exactly how this was going to happen. <laughs> we didn't call the Nifties, but uh, I think that that was a really interesting prediction that played out in a pretty non, uh, pretty interesting way. But I would call that a win. I actually thought that kind of ended up being the best prediction of the bunch. Well,
2: didn't know how it had happened, but I knew it would happen. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean inscriptions, I think, are like by far the biggest transaction uh type that's happening on the bitcoin network right now and bitcoin is hitting all-time highs in terms of fee transactions going through the network um i we were talking about this a bit before the show but like all the different you know meme coins dogs with hats dogs without hats frogs uh you know <laughs> ordinals brc20s um i think people are just you know looking to uh looking to farm and looking to have fun um how We'll, we'll save it for later, but you know there there is sort of a second part to this, um, which is you know that translates into actual value. You know, I'd say we have yet to kind of see how
1: that will play out yet, but moving in the right direction for the Bitcoin network. I think this is a nice. We'll, we'll have a category later of feel good story. This for me could have fit in the feel good story because I think like I personally love Bitcoin and the a lot of the the arguments that that. Uh, community makes really resonates with me but i do feel like it was co-opted by pretty extreme i would characterize it as religious viewpoints so it's cool to see a resurgence of something that looks a little bit more normal and a little bit less cat (laughs) eatery as a vibe so uh and then the michael you had michael you actually had fewer predictions here but your your other one was d5 versus c5 activity flipping so you said there was going to be a flipping it wasn't going to be the one we necessarily expected but there's going to be more on-chain activity than uh, sort of CFI activity moving forward. How do you feel like that one played out?
2: I don't think it hit yet, but I think it's definitely trending in the right direction. Um, you know, it's tough having the timing element of all of these be a year. Um, everything, everything in everything in software always takes longer than you expect, right? But I think we're definitely heading in the direction of um, DeFi overtaking CFI. Um, And, you know, maybe I'll just kick the can down the road and and push it into 24 as the timeline to do it.
1: Yeah, I think in some areas, though, like the we talked about the NFT exchanges. I mean, that feels like a pretty drastic flippening right there. So maybe it didn't happen in the, you know, centralized versus decentralized spot markets that we were looking for. But I feel like there are definite parts that ended up playing out. And,
2: and there's a ton of stuff coming out on the decentralized perps, decentralized derivatives that I, I think will make a, a pretty sizable change in, in 24.
1: Yeah, I agree. All right. Um, so the predictions that that I had were L1s survive and thrive, which I do think has played out largely in Solana world. Um, but I think you'll see some, like one of my predictions for this coming year has to do with like Monad. I think you're going to continue to see um, new L1s launch and do pretty well. But I think a lot of the other ones will probably die and fade into irrelevance. Um, MEV emerges as the dominant business model in crypto. I think that was just an ill-formed prediction, to be honest. I I don't really feel like it's the dominant business model in crypto, although I do feel like it was a huge theme of this year. And I think there's going to be, if I could go back and reword that, I I would say it would be a redistribution of MEV away from proposers today to back to applications and users. But I would so I think there was a lot of focus on Mev this year, but I don't think it was. I don't think it emerged as the dominant business model in crypto. Um, equities have further to go, but crypto bottomed. So called the bottom in crypto, that said equities were still going to go down. <laughs> so uh, I would call that a half right, but probably wrong because I was just wrong on the the idea generally there. Um, but the uh, December 20, 2022 was the bottom in in crypto, and then uh, the rise of specialized guilds uh that will provide labor to DAOs. this one i also it didn't obviously that was kind of an out there weird prediction i don't think it's happened yet but i do end up like it is a huge problem for DAOs still they have to find a way to source labor in a more efficient sort of scored way than they're doing it right now um we actually tried to do something like this with the Arbitrum coalition which is in the process of getting reformed but i think that'll be something going forward so i don't know fellas i feel like predictions are always hard that was uh can I give us a fifty percent hit rate? That feels. That feels it, was, uh, it was also
0: during FTX and stuff. I think we get points for just like believing, you know. Like we joke I about agree. a lot of like uh, sometimes this job, especially like you know, years too, because you got to stay convicted. Like it tests your courage more than your intelligence <laughs> quite a lot.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: so just just stay <laughs> bullish, you know, even when it looks bad. Like last year, you can still kind of see the future to some extent, and it's not not terrible most of the time.
1: No, I, I think going into uh, 2024, I'm more optimistic than I've been in some time. I feel really excited about the catalyst that we have on the horizon, but also the t- like also there's so much cool stuff that's coming out in the next six months. We'll get into some of that with predictions, but like I feel I feel really good going to 24.
0: Um. So, so I think we've talked about for this episode, we're going to do ecosystems, uh, then we'll do themes. Then we'll do like you know best worst comeback rookie of the year whatever you want to call it um,
2: most improved sort of, most improved yeah <laughs>
0: um I don't even know who most improved would go to yeah. certainly not certainly not SPF or DoQuan or any of those people um but I think we we should probably start with uh just like twenty twenty four what what do we think. You know, new year, potentially new us.
2: I mean, what happened? (laughs) New (laughs) us. Same Um, with us, for sure. Yeah. My my general sentiment about 2024 is we have dismantled all the bad actors and put them away. Um, We have the right foot moving in the right direction in terms of positive crypto trajectory. And we've got macro headwinds turning into tailwinds over the next 12 months. And I, we've said this, you know, externally to to folks, we've said this internally to people that we talk to, but um, I, I think we're at the first inning of the next bull market over the next couple of years. I think 2024 will be the representation of the broader realization of that, where we don't start having normie fervor but we do start having normie realization of what is happening. Um, and what I mean by this as an anecdote, if you were to pull 10 of my friends, not people in crypto, but just people that I'm friends with outside of crypto, I, I guarantee you seven of them would still think that Bitcoin price was below 10K or, or somewhere in that range. Um, and I, I think nobody has been paying attention to what's happened over the last you know, three, four, five months. Um, And 2024 will be a a realization of that for most people.
0: I think that's right. I mean, it's it's funny the extent to which normies are, are not engaged at all. And like, you kind of forget that like, it takes that all time high break to get everyone back in the pool fully. And, you know, just like at the end of last year, everyone was like, really pessimistic. And that set the stage for optimism. I think everyone's optimistic this year and that sets the stage for like, you know, a Bitcoin ETF. Like, we've we've hyped this thing so much that like almost anything under like $10 billion inflows in the first like few months is going to be like kind of a letdown. And so it, it feels like it could be a choppier year. And it, to me, it's just like the allegory or the analogy is very clean. Like this year was kind of like 2019. Next year is 2020. And 2020 was full of like, you know, we had COVID, we had like the. Like the seventy percent crash, then we had like the melt up, and you know you have the happening, you have the you know the potential new Trump election or Trump administration. But like it does feel like the end of the year is kind of when everything comes to pass. And just talking with like people with like Eigenlayer and Monad and like a lot of games, like I think people are going to be surprised how much stuff launches in the first or second quarter of the year. But like there is a lot coming in Q four on like the real work being delivered side. So, you know, Kobe posted on Twitter or like liked some, you know, tweet about like how the cycle is going to be much shorter and like we're going to top right before the ETF. I think it's going to be a lot longer um, because if we have like this paradigm shift of regulation, like 2024 to 2028 are open season. So it'll be a mixed bag is my prediction.
1: Yeah, I think it, it's always very tough to to predict what the market is going to do on like a three to six month sort of time horizon. I feel like there were kind of two options available to us, which was going to be, I feel like you, the time you maybe could have gotten a little bearish if like the market had just totally melted up all time high before the ETF, which probably isn't going to happen now, but that looked like it was in the cards even a month ago. And that was probably the time to say we got way out ahead of our skis. I think the longer we sort of tread water and chop, and if the ETF is not a huge you know, if there isn't some sort of parabolic spike after, then I agree. I think it's going to get drawn out more. I could see it sort of going either way. But I do think just based on everything that's launching this coming year, and I don't know, just intuition, I feel like if you're not trying to cha- a trade on like a monthly sort of basis, I feel like there's very little risk that we're not going to be in a better spot at the end of 2024 than we are today. So I go in optimistic. Um, yep. although uncertain about how it plays out in principle, you know, so, well, we were talking about this, like one, you know, cause one thing that I, so we're looking at these meme coins, right? There's a dog with a hat <laughs> and that's up a million percent in the last couple of weeks. And, you know, there's an uh, avalanche one and all these things. But uh, so on the one hand that feels really toppy, but on the other hand, we're still so far off the highs. I mean, we're still like over 50% off all time highs in many of these coins. So Kind of just keep coming back to like, we've got so much more room to run here. I mean, the, um, I think it, the people that are
2: tracking that um, and, and saying this feels like, f- you know, fervor, this feels like top, blah, blah, blah. I, I think the only counterpoint to that perspective is these are people who are taking like a thousand bucks and turning it into, you know, a hundred grand. Um, you try to turn a million into a hundred million in those markets, like you're not good luck. Um, and so I, I think all that this really signals is that animal spirits for, for some small portion of retail is back, but we're, you know, it's like, if you want to play with real size, like, let's talk about the real markets. Let's not talk about, you know, these, these tiny little things that pop and then drop. Um, and in those large markets, you know, we were talking about this too, Mike, but, um, whatever the signal is that Willie will wants we'll to talk about, you know, like that, that, you know, signal MVR. MVRV. MVRV um, is, you know, it, it's basically at 1.37. The only times that it's gone above three have been good times to sell, and, and we are well away from that. Um, so I, I think we're just starting in terms of the real markets. Um, these small little things are just canaries in the coal mine for what's to come.
1: I also think there's an element of PTSD here, and it's very difficult to get yourself you know, crypto goes through extreme euphoria and periods of extreme depression. And it's actually very difficult, even having gone through that a couple times to mentally reorient yourself if you've been experiencing two years of max pain to be really hopeful. Um, and then the same thing on the other side, when things have been going extremely well to say, hey, our revenue is probably going to go down 60, 70%. That's just a really tough mental pill to swallow at that time. So I, I do feel like actually in bull markets, the biggest mistake that people make is Letting go of your winners too early. And like everyone has these stories about how they sold way too early. And I don't know. I know I'm sounding a little uh opium-esque, but that's where my that's where my head's at, honestly, going into this year. Um,
0: I, I think people are most concerned with upside maximization versus downside minimization. And that's mm. just like, you know, a sentiment barometer of where things are. And people are gonna be tested all throughout 2024. Nothing's free. And you're gonna have to go through no. some. Some nights where you're not sleeping so well. It's all part of the process.
1: All part of the fun. All part of the fun. All part of the fun. All right. Fun. Let's go. Let's move on to some of the specific ecosystems. Bitcoin. How are you guys feeling about it in 2024?
0: Definitely comeback year this year.
1: Yeah. Definitely comeback year. I
2: think um, now that we've got sort of two camps, which is the like ordinals and inscriptions, um, taproot, like th- there are, There's functionality within the Bitcoin ecosystem, or at least there's the potential of it. Um, I think you've got that as one side of it. And then you've got the hardliner, like hard money, digital gold, institutionalization, inflation hedge. Don't touch my Bitcoin. Don't mess with it. You know, don't pump the fees through it. Don't clog the network you've got that side of the camp as well. And I I will be very curious to see what happens with the institutionalization. It seems like, you know, at this point, 95, 98% chance that it gets the ETF approval in early January. Um, And then, you know, everybody and their mother is going to just get bombarded with advertising for Bitcoin. Um, And everybody's going to know about it. It's like, I, I don't know if you've walked through airports recently, but you've got uh, even, you know, SFO, I've, I, we were in Hawaii recently for my brother's wedding and they've got, you know, even GBTC advertisements there. It, it's crazy. Like, but imagine that and then there's 12 participants and one of those participants is the largest asset manager in the world. Um, so I, I think everybody's going to know about it by the end of the year, um, but it will, it will have to really go through a process of what is Bitcoin now, because there are two, you know, pretty legitimate camps. Um, and you've got the institutions on one side this is digital role this is an asset category now and then the other side you've got this is a tech platform where we could do things other than just
0: hold assets yep i think um someone described inscriptions to me as the uh, blockchain version of an std and all these different <laughs> blockchains are like catching it And so, like, I I, I just, you know, it's awesome to see them hit all time highs in terms of fees. Again, it doesn't mean quite as much because it's a proof of work system. But like proving the sustained demand of of what's going on and like, you know, putting the Luke Dash Jr., like I'm going to eradicate this spam from the blockchain FUD to to bed, like kind of feels like where Bitcoin is going to go. But it's interesting, like this is the uh, the spot ETF is the final boss. like it has gotta be kind of like roll your own catalyst from here on out. Uh so it'll it'll be interesting to see, but um I, I think Bitcoin continues to do to do well in twenty twenty-four.
1: Yep. I don't have much to add to what you guys said. I just wouldn't fade Bitcoin right before it's about to get its spot ETF. It's a super left bell curve. I just think it's probably gonna do well. I I, I there are a lot of arguments, like this always kind of comes up the the Bitcoin camp about whether Bitcoin's going to flip this trend of the last couple cycles and start to outperform ETH or Solana or some of the newer chains. I would I would probably go out on a limb and say I don't think that's going to happen. I think the same period that has held in the past is going to continue to hold. So even though it's going to be a great year for Bitcoin, I would say, and that's kind of the destiny of all these these L1s, right? Like the bigger you get, the less volatile you get, the more your absolute returns are going up, but risk adjusted looks a little better because it's de risked. And that's just kind of the destiny of all of these really large assets over time.
2: So if we were to actually make a prediction here, just based off of what we've been talking about, you know, I, I think we would all probably agree, but like who wins in those two camps? Is it the institutions and, you know, the hard money perspective, or is it, you know, the inscriptions and the uh, the experimental BRC type camp? Institutional for me. 100%.
0: I would I would yeah. say institutional. Um, yeah. Also, like you, you look at the user numbers on a lot of these things um and it kind of looks like the same cohort of people who are trading like the dog coins you know it's like 50 people versus like 50 other people um and inscriptions like you can really ramp the fees so like we'll see you know um if it doesn't sustain i think you fall kind of naturally back into this like it's digital gold that's all it is Agreed. yeah should we do all right
1: yeah I would love to get your guys, persp- and just to just to set the scene here, I mean, the uh, narrative has shifted a little bit against Ethereum, I would say, kind of shifted from this super consensus bet to one that's, I, I don't think it's really a, a total underdog, like it's still the, the second biggest crypto, but like the narrative has certainly shifted against it. Probably, <laughs> no, no, it's uh, the underdog now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's the underdog. Uh, yeah, I'd just be curious, like how, how do you guys, how are you guys think about the ETH ecosystem going into twenty four?
0: This is like very similar to what happened in 2019 where ETH BTC started the year at 0.04 and about in the middle of the year, I think it was in July or August, it was 0.16. So it had like a 50 to 70% decline. And, you know, that was when uh, Udi held the death of ETH uh, Twitter Spaces party and literally i just retweeted this guy saying you know we're witnessing the death of ethereum and so like we're we're kind of there um and i think what you're going to see from eth next year is is kind of like twofold number 1 um i think you're going to see some sort of solution to the ethereum alignment problem through things like restaking and that's going to be kind of like just like the eth devs came out with eth 2.0 during the last bear market in 2019 like you're going to see a response from the L2 teams, from the application level builders, and also from the EF. And we've heard that the EF is kind of like interested in, in repositioning ETH as money um, and, and kind of like, you know, you emphasizing that property. And so like, I think just like you saw a lot of the Bitcoin community come together, you're probably going to see some of that from Ethereum as well. Um, and then I think just the really like, and we can talk about Solana in this context, but like, staking is one of the killer use cases of crypto and seeing you know like things like blast and things like restaking driving additional eth to be staked like we could see the ETH staking rate at like 50 percent, and like at that point the community is extremely aligned like you know you're yield farming crazy apy ponzi's with your eth and like the thing that's that we're trying to help with jito with is like getting soul stake and getting people to use soul like ETH does not have that problem right now. Um, and so you'll see higher fees, you'll see kind of like an aligned response and um, you'll see ETH is the underdog. Once again, like the takes that I'm seeing on Twitter are like nation state level FUD, um, but that's kind of what you need. You need your coin to get beaten down to the point where it's the underdog and it's just a death march. And once you're on the death march, it's like, fuck the price. like we're just gonna keep putting one foot in front of the other. And that's when cool things happen. Like think about Jito just building for the past like two and a half years, just eating glass. People, including myself being like, Solana might be dead. That's kind of what you want.
2: The, uh, totally agree with all of that. Um, The additional flavor that I'd add is um, Dan Kuhn, which is the upgrade that's supposed to happen in Q1 reduce 4844 reduces um, call data cost by 90 percent for L2s built on Ethereum. Um, There are tens of portfolio companies that we have or that we're talking with about this who are looking to launch their own app chain that frankly cannot right now because they're waiting for Dan Kuhn to come in. Um, and it, it, this is the major difference of like, it costs, uh, you know, two or $3,000 a day to like two or $300 a day to run the infrastructure. It, it's like a real material cost for some of these, you know, cost constrained companies protocols. And so I, I think the proliferation of the app chains post Dan Kuhn is also one of the the reinvigorating narratives um, that will come about. And you know, it's a couple months away. It's not that far in 2024. Um, but I, I think, yes, it has a, a slight narrative void right now. It's also in in the opposition to basically everything that's launching right now or raising right now or announcing their raises right now. And so it's sort of, you know, it, it is, um, it all ebbs and flows in, in crypto narrative land. And right now it's a, you know, a flow or an app, whatever the opposite would be. But I I think that that changes pretty quickly with the launch of, you know, probably hundreds of L2s as app chains.
1: Yeah, I agree with what both of you guys have said. And I would just reiterate to folks that um, this is actually not, this is sort of what happened actually in 2020. It was like Bitcoin dominance actually went up for a while, well into the run and Bitcoin led and ETH would follow. And then ETH eventually started leading. This is... This is just a really good reminder of how price leads narrative, I think, and people have drastically overstated the death of Ethereum. Actually, one, you sort of uh, front ran one of my predictions, actually two of my sort of predictions, Vance, but that's interesting to hear that uh, the Ethereum, I thought this was going to be an out there prediction, but I think Ethereum is going to get a rebrand away from ultrasound money this year. That was going to be my one of my big predictions. I, I was never a huge fan of the ultrasound money because I felt like that is competing with Bitcoin, but I I just think people are very bullish on restaking, but they don't really fully aren't grokking the the full implications of that. And I think one of the things that ETH does best is actually yield. Um, I'm totally with you on the staking piece. And you know ETH I think has very secure block space. People want to hold their assets on the L1 and stake and get yield. That solves a huge problem that Bitcoin can't compete with. Bitcoin doesn't have, it's not a productive asset. And this is the reason why most institutions don't hold gold. It's not productive. ETH has the ability to be productive and you can keep your assets on the L1, but earn incremental yield elsewhere in crypto through restaking. I just think that's such a powerful primitive. Um, And I I don't know if, if this will actually happen, but I would love to see the narrative reform around ETH as, I don't know, like a productive yield bearing asset. I think that would be extremely powerful differentiated and fix a huge part of the problem that like, when I talked to my dad, it's, he still says it's about Bitcoin. It's not productive. It's like gold. Just sits okay. There. You know? Yeah. It just so, sits there, but
0: let, let, let me, let me, let me read one, one thing. So I, I was reading this Eigen layer blog post this morning and I thought it was just like a good summation of kind of like that thesis. Um, in 2021, Sri Ram Khan, uh, Cannon loved Ethereum. However, ETH was limited because apps had to be built within the Ethereum virtual machine. Um, eigenlayer now enables Ethereum validators to secure arbitrary programs not running on the Ethereum blockchain. You no longer need to bootstrap to a decentralized network to run a decentralized program. Like, I I, I don't, maybe ultra money isn't the right way to put it, but like, ETH is going to become the first asset to transcend its virtual machine and consensus layer. And that's like a totally new version vision of like, what is ETH? And it's just like super cool and like if you think about the evolution of a blockchain and like kind of like let's just take solana right now you know the first thing is like you kind of need people to like get like an lst that's bootstrapped you know secure the network with with mostly lsts and then like i think the eventual hope for all these crypto assets is like we can use those validators and take them and do other things but like all these blockchains need to still make progress outside of eth on liquid staking And that's going to be kind of like something that ETH has already checked the box on is like, cool, what else can we use this asset for? In the same way that you're describing it, and we denominate a lot of our fund in ETH because not only does it trend the market, you know, have yield, you can use it on APY stuff. You can borrow against it for 4% on Maker. Um, You can swing it around onto different chains and LP with it. Like, it's the only asset you can do that with still. And so that's kind of the money use case. Maybe that's not the right way to think about it, though.
1: Yeah, I think it. I think it. It's just one. One other thing there too is like Bitcoin's done this many times. Bitcoin gets a new narrative uh, ish every cycle, right? Like, and a lot of people knock it. It's like, oh, a man for every season. I. I don't think that is true. I just think we've invented something new. We've invented this new commodity called block space, and we inherently try to jam it into like, uh, it's money or it's an internet bond. It's like it's just a useful thing. It's just a useful thing and that's what eth is it's a super it's a super useful thing and i think it's about to get a redefinition of why people find it useful and it has a moneyness in that people want to hold it but then you can also get all this extra incremental yield and it actually solves a massive problem for purchasers of security i'm front running an episode that i just recorded with sri ram and zaki but it's i just yeah i remain extremely uh, excited about this
0: L- last one on eth i think we're going to see a supply squeeze at some point All the staking, all the ETH that's been burnt, I think once demand returns for real, you're going to see the net effects of the past couple of years take shape. So,
2: um, one of my predictions for 24 is that we see an ETH spot ETF. I agree with that. I agree with that. And so, I I, I think uh, that's one of the catalysts, obviously, for demand. Um, narrative will probably front run that, but I, I, agree with the supply shock, especially, um, and it'll be emphasized based off of the demand shock that's pulling it forward.
1: All right, everyone, we will be back to the program in just a moment. But before we do, I want to share something that Blockworks has been cooking up for these last couple of months. March of this coming year in London, Blockworks is hosting DAS London, the largest institutionally focused conference in all of crypto. We are gathering 1,200 of the world's largest asset managers. So think TradFi macro funds, crypto native funds, big allocators, and financial institutions. So banks, payment processors, etc. all in one spot. It's very rare to get the likes of Goldman, JP Morgan, 72, whatever, all in one room so you can know what the big money is doing. We're diving into the themes that they care about. So we're talking about the intersection of macro and crypto, where we are in the cycle, real world assets. So everything from stable coins to on-chain treasuries to tokenized assets, it's going to be a blast. But the other reason you really want to go is London, baby. Center of the world at one point. You got pub culture, you got fish and chips, great beer. It's going to be a blast. So because you're such great listeners to Bell Curve, there's a code Bell20 that's going to get you 20% off. So click the link at the bottom of this episode. It'll take you right over to the home page. You'll see all of our speakers and use bell 20 for 20% off ticket prices are going up soon. Make sure you go use that code. And I will see you in sunny London town in March. All right. Should we move on to Solana big year for Solana? Um, underdog story of the year, probably, although it's, uh, very hyped at the current moment. What do you guys think going into 2024? Uh, obviously the underdog winner of 2023. I mean, th- th- think about where
2: it, think about where it started. Um, you know, it, it was like post FTX, uh, this time last year, I don't, I, I think, I don't think SBF had been arrested. Um, but I think may probably have. talking at the New York times, uh, summit. <laughs> I, I mean, That's exactly. it's like day by day. So who knows the timelines? Um, yeah, I mean, listen, they, they win the narrative. Um, they win the comeback story of the year. Um, I think it was also pretty bleak for the most of last year of most of 2023. Um, you know, if we, we kind of forget, but like in June, it went back down to $8 and has been on a tear since. Um, and I think Breakpoint was sort of the catalyst for a lot of this new narrative build. Um, and there's some pretty interesting stuff going on, you know, um, the, there's some projects, protocols that are taking the SVM and not using Solana um, as a settlement layer. Um, I think there's a lot of things that, you know, are building ap- interesting applications on top of it. Um, I would say in 2024, my prediction is, and, and uh, so I, I think the biggest thing that Solana lacks right now is that um, it has all of the hype, but it doesn't have the distinct narrative definition of why. Um, in 2019, if this is, you know, the equivalent, you could kind of see where things were trending with DeFi and you had a ton of new protocols that were launching and kind of scaling at the end of 2019. And then, you know, it took another six months, but then we had DeFi summer in 2020, summer 2020. And that was all, you know, Ethereum, obviously. Um, I think it's unclear right now what that new kind of application category that Solana will own. and and what it will
1: be. Um, And so my prediction is that we find that out in 2024. I think Solana is gonna continue to do well in 2024. I don't have many, I think it's going to, I guess I have a couple long-term thoughts about it. It has this advantage right now over, one of the disadvantages of L1 or L2s and actually Cosmos as well that we'll get to is uh, interoperability. Like we we haven't solved this like fragmentation of liquidity and haven't solved perfect interop at least for ETH L2s and the UX for Cosmos, I still find pretty tough. So I think Solana has a leg up on UX in the current moment. What I think they are gonna struggle with is they need to fully overhaul their fee market. Um like they they haven't like the local fee market is a very cool first step, but in its current implementation, it's not as useful as it's sort of touted touted to be. And really, I think what they're uh, why they're able to have such cheap fees and good execution currently is like they've got parallel execution, which is kind of carrying them. But there's just a lot of problems with fee markets. And if you talk to Solana builders, that's the number one thing they're kind of focused on. And there's an enormous amount of debate in that community. Um, so you know, not to be a, a fudder, but I, I I wouldn't be actually surprised if something ended up kind of breaking with Solana again. I don't know if that means a full. Um, liveness failure or outage. But I do think you'll start to see as more and more activity moves onto it, it's going to start to sort of shudder underneath it. And I think Solana, I don't think it'll happen this coming year. I'm front running another prediction, but I think they will have the beginnings of their 1559. I think they just need a fee market overhaul. And that's a really difficult thing to organize because it's inherently a redistribution of fees and value across multiple different stakeholders. This was really difficult in Ethereum as well. But I think that you—that's what Solana is going to need this coming this coming year. But I think it continues to do very well, honestly.
0: Yeah, I think it continues to do well. I think it continues to—I think it continues to do well to the extent that its you know main application teams continue to succeed, um, and like the bonk meme coin frenzy driving all the stablecoin transfers and volume, like you know, we like Pepe was on Ethereum earlier this year, like, you know, those things last for like a period of months. Um, but they're just going to have to like figure out how to get more soul on chain. Like that's the biggest problem that we're running into right now is like a lot of the soul is locked. A lot of the soul is in centralized validators. Um, like to the extent that it's a bottleneck on DeFi activity. And so like, that's kind of what's been bricking TVL. Um, And things like nfts are are kind of differentiated and you know they've had like a nice seven days versus ETH. um but like what's next and maybe it is just the price keeps going up and that's like just like euphoria you certainly can sustain that for for longer than like a meme coin but um i think generally you're gonna see a new group of leaders in the market just like the leaders this year were much different than the year prior um so, so it'll be like a test of, of faith in, in Solana holders in, in some ways.
2: So <clears throat> to take this further, um, I, one of the things we were talking about internally is, um, DeFi within Solana and, and I, I can't remember off the top of my head, I think it's about 390 something of, um, soul out of the fives, whatever is staked. Um, so really, really high staking rate, the vast majority of that is staked. Um, either through direct staking on a validator or a centralized staker. But what that limits is the use of that asset as a collateral asset. My, my prediction is that without sole state um, moving to a liquid staking model, um, without it moving to less than 40% centralized state, you're not going to be able to see DeFi take off on Solana.
0: Stake your sole, people, in JITO, preferably
1: uh we're, the Gino story biased. i agree i know i'm biased too i'm a minor bag holder but i just i also just got to know lucas this last year and man like talk about Dude. just building through an absolute shit Brilliant. environment where everything was going against you like i just root i just personally root for that team to be
0: honest um so yeah they're they're clearly like the giga brains of that of that community I, outside of like Tolly and those folks like <laughs> they they like know like the physics that underpins like the blockchain it's it's wild to hear them talk about it
2: but but just think about the comparison of DeFi kicking off in ethereum what was the collateral asset of choice (laughs) it was ETH because nobody because no one was staking and it was proof of work well now you have to do the reverse which is instead of getting stake rate up you have to get stake rate down and put it into a liquid staking option and use it as a collateral asset so they've got the opposite problem to solve for DeFi to actually take off on Solana.
1: You know, uh, there might be end up being sort of different market structures in Solana DeFi versus ETH DeFi that are difficult to predict now. Like one interesting example is uh, like Jupiter, like aggregators on Solana versus ETH. So the market structure for exchanges on ETH has been, Uniswap is extremely dominant. Like one inch gets is done well, but like most of their volume is just Uniswap. And the reason is, is because of gas costs primarily, like you have to route multiple different things. And with ETH gas costs, it's just tough. So you'd rather just trade on Uniswap where all the liquidity is. But on uh, Solana, obviously gas cost is much less, so it makes sense to use an aggregator. And there could be weird little small things like that, that affect the path dependence of how market structure develops in Solana compared to Ethereum. So I'm not smart enough to predict what that would look like, but it could develop in different ways. Um, Do you guys want to move on to Cosmos? Cosmos just,
0: slash yeah. Well, how, how are you guys feeling about Cosmos into twenty four? It feels like Cosmos isn't even like one cohesive ecosystem anymore. Like like I, I guess just like we've known it as like Atom, and, and that like that seems to have just taken a different path in terms of you've got DYDX chain, you've got Risk Harbor, or Andalusa now, you've got you know say you've got I think Injective is Cosmos as well. Um, chain flip is, is cosmos as well. So it kind of feels just like this federation of smaller chains. And, um, it's hard to define it as one thing, honestly, it seems to appeal more to folks who are like, we want one monolithic integrated app chain. Um, but I think, you know, DYDX's growth has been slower than we would have expected out of the gates. Like I still think they've got sub 50 million in open interest um and maybe that has to do with the ui but they've got incentives and programs to get people over i i kind of wonder maybe it's like noble and usdc that kind of breaks that pattern finally um but I, i i think they're kind of like in the same ways that people are trying to get soul staked on uh these different chains like they definitely have that dynamic in the cosmos chains where it is like liquid staking primarily but like they need other assets to flow onto these chains for them to be real in 2024.
1: Yeah, Cosmos, I think suffers from someone called them recently the lab of crypto. And I agree with that. There's so many ideas that come out of Cosmos. That's just right, I think. I do think Cosmos suffers from this problem of being ahead of their time. Like Antonio is I think one of the most visionary founders. Basically, when I hear him say something like you're directionally correct, Maybe the timeline of it is is a little bit difficult, like I don't know. you know there's a whole idea of building for distribution or building for product. and I, you should build for product, but you shouldn't undersell distribution, and the distribution strategy has been huge for eth. And I think ultimately their vision is correct. These a lot of the value I think ends up accruing to the app layer. You need interoperability between that app layer so it feels seamless. but in the interim, it's almost like they kind of skipped to the end there, um, and there could have been like a they missed they missed the opportunity to make Adam just gas and a shelling point. We're missing a shelling point in Cosmos, I think. R- really tough, really tough to have Apple steal all of your ideas at Xerox Park. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Right. I, I do, I do think generally like there's a lot of OGs of crypto in the Cosmos ecosystem, and and one broader theme that we can talk about is like I think the crypto OGs have a very nice year. Um, just because they've been putting the most amount of work in. But like DYDX chain is is like a very interesting engineering feat. I, I think you're right. It's just probably a little bit Oh early. my god, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I do think one, maybe if I have to make the bullish argument for Cosmos as well, is I I do think there's a sequencing, which is again the the big thing in crypto is I don't think we have many apps that have a traditional definition of product market fit. And we were talking about everything can kind of shift under the ground if there's this sort of runaway app, maybe it's a, a DEX or a NFT or a game or something like that. And as soon as you do that, then the the idea of paying gas, you, you don't really need distribution as much. And the idea of paying rent either to an Ethel 2 or to Solana becomes much less tenable. And then I do think you look for your own little island because you're like, I don't need distribution. And I want to capture all my economics. And I want perfect granularity over my product experience. And in that sense, Cosmos makes a lot of sense. I just think they're so I've always viewed Cosmos as kind of a really good end game, but I do have questions. It's less clear to me if Adam is going to do particularly well. Yeah. So that's my uh,
2: my, my specific prediction on Cosmos is that the applications that are built on the tech stack of Cosmos do really well and that it's unclear as to what Cosmos, you know, writ large does. Mm. I, I,
0: I we, we should talk about themes, but like, to the extent that someone has an app that has a hundred thousand to a million users, congratulations. You're like a top five blockchain. <laughs> and so like you are. things can shift very quickly. Um, and Cosmos ecosystem doesn't seem like the most application minded people, um, but like it's on the table for everyone. It, it just doesn't seem like it's going to be DeFi. Like DeFi is not the thing that can help you leapfrog to the top 10 it is something that you kind of need as a table stakes version of a blockchain to be top 10 but like gaming is how you go from like the eighth page of coin market cap to you know top five so cool. whoever focuses on that you know they have a shot maybe it's cosmos yeah i i do yeah i also just well, like I like scott a huge soft spot.
1: yeah you never scott. know
0: you gotta brilliant. get Scott
1: on the podcast at some point. He, I think, is is a really bright guy. And Cosmos, I just, I love that ecosystem, and I always, I will always root for it. Um, all right, let's go into the themes. What are some of the big okay. themes that you guys saw? Yeah, yeah. Because the eyebrows. <laughs> um, what do you think?
0: I, I mean, one one is um, cliffs and and unlocks. It's it's weird. Like in the last bull market, there were kind of like no teams really uh, there were no, like no projects or like there was no like you know clips that had already happened i think the avalanche like public sale was in like you know early 2021 or late 2020. um and so like the clips of that bear market or bull market came like almost like after the peak here we have just like a lot of l2s and a lot of like you know things like Arbitrum with like a huge unlock in in march and celestia in like november december um where the market is just going to have like hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of alt supply to digest and like there was a time when unlocks were bullish um and i think the question is like you know if if you if if like people just eat these air these unlocks in march i think you have a pretty good idea of like what the market is going to look like it's probably going to rip um but if it like kind of struggles and we reset valuations and like valuations are memetic like, people are willing to pay a billion for an L2 because Arbitrum's a 10. Um, you, you'll probably see the cycle get longer and extended, and, and things get a little bit more subdued. But I think how people deal with these unlocks is going to be a huge impact. Because all of the funds that we know are focused on raising, obviously. But, like, a precondition to that is, like, heavy return money um, to LPs. So, so that's just kind of like the inside baseball of like what the venture and hedge fund people are looking at. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see if, if chips are taken off the table in that regard and and how that makes the market react.
1: Um,
2: actually kind of dovetails nicely, but one of my meta predictions is that, um, we're going to have a reshuffling of the deck of who the best investors are. And I think that, um, we, you know, there's always been the big fundraises, you know, the big brands, um, you know, the the main characters. Um, <clears throat> and we've seen a lot of the, a lot of those main characters get wheeled out. Um, but I, I think 2024 is where we start to actually put together who's the next crop of the next generation. And it's the people that have survived. Um, and I think that becomes more obvious as we start to see. You know, as Vance alluded to, these, these funds who are out raising right now, who are you know, needing to be able to raise, to be able to put more dollars to work, uh, raise less, uh, have smaller rounds, you know, cut the size of their teams, et cetera, um, and kind of restructure. Um, and
0: so
1: I, I would imagine that, you know, 2024 is a year of recognition of that. Uh, just to get a little saucy, do you have any predictions on how that reshuffling uh, goes? any any this rising stars uh for for new funds or falling falling angels
0: we were talking about this today or yesterday like um there was like a few funds um that like either caught the defi wave in a massive way or like you know caught the solana wave in a massive way and they were up like you know just just so much like just like yeah and and they left everyone in the dust and like we we were definitely part of that just on the defi side this this time around there hasn't been that like like maybe like celestia or things like that like we'll see kind of what it trades at during the unlock but like you haven't seen anyone like have like the 150x fund quite yet and so i I think like dovetailing from that is you know a year ago when everything was falling apart and we were buying liquid tokens it was just like if the industry is surviving these tokens are going to do well and now it's like um what is the venture meta is it, like, these monolithic L1s that people are going to bet on? Is it, like, you know, we've seen, like, 15 DA layers come to market in the past, like, two or three weeks. And so, like, is its is it that? Um, is it games? You know, does that finally happen? But, like, one of these things will hit. And I think that's kind of, like, how you reorder the deck. Um, and I think there's funds that are just, like, solid, that have a good track record that aren't going anywhere. But if you're a venture-only fund, you don't really do Liquid, like, you really need to be in tune with whatever that meta is. And it's not just, like, a narrative. Um, cause like people can produce DA layers faster than like, you know, the existing incumbents can build a moat. It needs to be like a real use case. Um, and I think that's what we're still working on. Frankly, we hope it's games.
2: What I'll add to that is, um, I'll, I'll just do it based off of fund size. Uh, what Vance is talking about is like the sub $25 million funds in 2019, 2018, 2017, whenever, whenever they launched. Um, many of those did really, really well. Some of them, you know, in, in the like. All time stratosphere of of venture funds, Um, I and I I don't think that those funds this cycle are going to do as well, um, basically because they're competing against the multiple hundred million dollar funds who can still play down at their level, but and and take those you know thousand x two thousand x return in investments, but the smaller funds just don't have the brand to win those deals, and and so I think that that's where they get squeezed. I think the bigger funds, the billion dollar plus funds or close therefore, um, those ones are going to have a really really tough time returning capital. And so I think you're going to see the reshuffling happen where the early funds, the smaller ones, you know, funds one and two that are sub 25 million, they're going to have a tough time transitioning to their next fund or or their third fund, whatever it may be. And I think you're going to see. Um, you know the larger funds have have to whenever they come back to market whenever they announce have to come back with less
1: money i think that's a good prediction i i've got one for you guys and uh fancy you're just talking about a little bit i think a big narrative um that's going to be probably h1 of this year is the da wars but my take is that they were over before they started i think celestia and EigenDA have probably won the da wars and there's going to be quite a bit of money burned trying to catch them. And I think there's a very interesting debate on whether or not DA is a commodity or how these different DA layers are going to compete. And I would say over time, DA is a commodity and it's probably going to be sort of a race to the bottom on cost, but I don't think that's how DA layers are going to compete in the interim. I think it's going to be very much a brand thing. You're already seeing this with Celestia underneath. um, And probably the competition is going to heat up between EigenDA and Celestia. I think they're both going to compete first for the big ETH L2s and probably EigenDA has a slight leg up because you can be like ETH aligned. Um, but then o- over time, I think Celestia ends up the battle that they need to fight is getting more new L2s to launch as sovereign rollups on Celestia as opposed to ETH L2s. Uh, but, I, but I do think the DA wars is going to be a big narrative and I don't know, I saw some of our analysts are really bullish on Nier as a as a DA layer for Ethereum. and. I, I don't know. I just I haven't looked into it. I don't know, but I feel like the DA wars have are over before they started, and it's just Celestia and Eigen DA. I,
0: I just there's not enough revenue that is going to be as, ascribable to DA layers for it to be like a real category over the long term is is my guess. Um, but like what we've heard is that Eigen is significantly or Eigen DA is significantly significantly more performant than uh, Celestia DA, and is launching in Q1. And like you know if you. If you think about like kind of like ETH being like slowly disassembled by like modular blockchain theory and all that stuff, like DA and like restaking ETH is kind of like the reassembly of that. Like that's how all the pieces kind of fit back together. Um, and, you know, like maybe the community cares or maybe not. But like, look, if you launch an L2 blockchain and you get like, like think about what Blast has done. Like this is a good example. They launched an L2. And they made it super ETH line by saying like, send us ETH and we'll like do something, you know, with it. And like, you know, now we have all this TVL, we have all this community versus like, congrats, you launched on Celestia. Your your DA is marginally cheaper. You don't have any other real community. Like it, it's going to be more of a community bootstrapping mechanism in terms of like, why would I put uh I mean DA over Celestia DA. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about is like, it's the brand. And that's the thing that matters. It's not like the cost or performance. Like I, I guess that matters, but like it's more about bootstrapping the community, which is kind of like if, if you had an L2 pick between a community and slightly cheaper DA, they'd pick a community.
1: I, that's and, um, exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. Right. Totally.
0: Yep. But it's okay. going to be interesting. Um, and paradoxically, like Celestia at 12 billion has a higher chance of success than Celestia at 1 billion. I know. So I know. You know Even like, though it's more these expensive. These are kind of path dependent. But like, you know, the rubber meets the road when the tokens unlock. And, you know, price can drive sentiment up, but it also can deflate it on the way down. We'll see. We shall see. Um,
1: and I've got one more for you on the slightly nerdier camp, but I, I think uh, sort of steel sharpens steel a little bit. I think we're going to see innovation um, in the EVM for the first time basically ever. And uh, I think... Solana SVM is going to push. I was actually, I went to one of these, um, uh, you know, John Charbonneau DBA kind of research hangs and it was it was very interesting to hear. I think Monad is like a really good example of this where people are finally like, yeah, okay, we need parallel execution in the EVM. And I, it was actually really interesting to hear from some of the folks on the east side of the, the table basically articulate the idea that the EVM was designed for ETH, but the hope was that there was going to be experimentation at the execution layer on L2s. But the L2s kind of all just took the EVM and didn't innovate on it because they were focused on other stuff at the time. But I think now with the, the advent of the SVM, uh, people are going to, I think it's going to be a huge trend of like parallel execution, uh, parallelization in the EVM is going to be a big thing to watch this coming year. Monad will be a part of that. But I think l2s will experiment with that and start to push that more and then the other thing i think that the l2s are going to have to figure out although i'm not really bullish on them figuring it out this year is interop in between them because if the idea is to move off eth main chain like we got to figure out some interoperability between these layers so i'm i'm pretty
0: bullish on interop next year like ccip socket kind of feel like the two approaches that are winning the most users like Socket powers Polygon, they power Matcha, they power Coinbase internal stuff, uh, Chainlink is kind of like synthetics, um, like all the DeFi protocols that use their Oracles. Like, I would expect by the end of next year, we have that as like a solved problem. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm more bullish on that. And I think that's going to be a sneaky big category where it's like, yeah, like you launched your own L2, but like you're playing on this shared messaging layer that like kind of is a blockchain. So like which which one are you really deployed on if your users are just doing things, you know, this there and the other place? It's just like a different way to think about it. Yeah.
2: I, so I agree that next year we have um ideas around what's working, but I think that this is a UX issue that basically just gets better over time. I don't think it's like a okay, yep, mission accomplished, we solved it. I think it's like uh we know who the winners are, but it slowly gets better and better and better and better every single year. Just like, you know https it just like it used to be a, a bitch to, to try and connect <laughs> and like switch from one network to another and it's like oh you're on juniper and you're like no just over time it gets abstracted more and more
0: on, on the parallel evm side i, I think you are we, we were doing this math last night where um i mean michael what are the numbers what does the zk evm cost right now
2: I mean, it's it's about a dollar fifty on average, so like two fifty to swap. Uh, like I don't know, maybe a dollar to to send ETH, um, but like call it a dollar fifty per transaction,
0: right? And then Denkun, you know, you assume that's like fifteen you know, maybe, cents, yeah, fifteen cents. You know, like maybe there's something in twenty twenty four that helps get that to like sub ten cents, but like, it, it, like one way to think about it, which Michael pointed out, is. That's less than credit card transaction fees, uh, which is like 30 cents plus 3% on most stuff, uh, for the merchant. Um, but the user obviously bears that cost. And so like we're cheaper than all major mainstream payment rails, likely at scale. And I think one of the questions I have with the parallel EVM is like, do you need 0.000001 cent transactions? And, and if you do need that, what does that get the network? Uh, it, cause it certainly doesn't get a lot of fees. Like you need some sort of like. Some sort of different use case other than like swapping and buying nft like you need some high throughput use case to match high throughput tps so i i think there's there's questions about like to the extent it's needed and like what are the final benchmarks aiming for does it need to be free because if it's free that's not like a great business model
2: well i'll I'll add some color there too um so first off uh, i think the big the big difference here is um you know, $0.15 cents sub credit card fees for most assets. Also that scales. So you can buy, a you know, a $10 thing, you can buy a $1,000 thing, and it's still going to be $0.15. Cents. Whereas with credit card transactions, you have that variable fee baked in, which is totally different. Um, and the other thing I'll add is, um, account abstraction I think changes a lot of this, uh, where it's not the user who's paying it, it's the merchant effectively who's paying it, just as in the same way that you have person to person or point of sale transactions, uh, or yeah, not person to person, but point of sale. Um, And so all of this leads to my broad 2024 prediction that 2024 is going to be the year of web three gaming, because you're going to see 50 to hundred games launch. There's going to be account abstraction to where users and gamers are not going to have to pay the transaction fees themselves. They're going to get airdrop tokens. They're going to get airdropped assets that they can use in these games. Um, and I would go so far as to say, you know, the, the NFT market at the end of next year is going to look like game assets. It's not going to be PFPs anymore. And and that, you know, is, is basically the broad trend of the technology is there. The wallet wall will be solved um, or it kind of has been solved. Uh, immutable Passport officially announced um I think yesterday or the day before. Um and we've got, you know, hundreds of games that are set to launch.
0: The good news about making uh, this gaming prediction every year is that eventually we will be right. <laughs> I
2: was gonna say
1: I don't think we've made this prediction <laughs> no, 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 last year.
0: Think, I'm I'm just fucking around. Like we we've just been bullish on this for a long time and underestimated how long it will take. But um it does seem like finally just like the launch of passport yesterday and the ZK like it's gonna happen and you know this year is more likely than the last and i and i think it will happen in 2024
2: and and just to, so sorry the last point on zkVM and transaction fees i think what games will realize is that it's not you know all the transactions all the movements all the activity that lives within that game is going to be something that lives on chain it's when you have a monetization element that's when you have something that settles back to the blockchain and that's where that 50, $0.15 cent fee actually does come into play. Um, everything else will live in a semi-centralized or or you know fully centralized ecosystem, just as you have with digital game ecosystems. But it's going to be the monetization moments that are put on chain.
1: I had Return of fire as a prediction too. I thought you guys would appreciate that one, but I also had it this year. <laughs> I just feel like it feels like the obvious thing. I... I don't know. Dude, it's um, it's
0: but some people don't believe in it. Like some people are just like, This is never going to happen. It's like <laughs> well, I think well, we're gonna be I... trading like dog with a hat for the next, you know, fifty years. That doesn't sound that interesting. <laughs> like how to do something I'm else. You.
1: I'm with you. I don't know. Look, I I have no, there's this whole debate about meme coins. Are they good? Are they bad? Is speculation good or bad? And people feel the need to come out like really hard against it or really hard for it. And it's like, it's kind of cringe on both sides. Like just take it for what it is. It's
0: It's so cringe.
1: Yeah. It's so lame to be like, this is ruining crypto or like, this is the future of social. It's like, no, it's not. It's just some intermediate thing. Just take your little gains while you do it. Have fun. (laughs) trading with the dog with the hat um
2: it, it's a bunch just, of kids on the internet that are bored until as we wait for the next narrative you know to death
1: yeah. <laughs> 100% 100% um i actually i had uh i this is not going to be a surprise cuz i feel like i've talked about it on this on this show but uh i think nfts are going to i think it's going to be a big comeback year for nfts also ooh ooh one of my dark horse bets is uh nfts pfp nfts die in 2024 Oh, nice. Well, I, there's a possibility of that happening. I do think you, w- what has been interesting for me with NFTs is you're starting to see experimentation across different business models. Like what Luca is doing on Pudgies is like, here's the thing that is absolutely 100% broken. 10,000 PFP models that monetize via basically new mints. That is a model that is never coming back. Um, but I do think you'll see more, tra- like what Luca has done from at least my perspective is fit it into a traditional IP model. Okay, I've got my social media up here. I sell my little plushies in uh, in Walmart, and then I have my thing that sits at the bottom of the funnel, and some royalties accrue to that. And that's my evangelical community that's going to scream about my pudgies forever. That just that's a neat, easy, simple business model to understand. And
2: yeah, but that's not that's not like okay, that's not what I'm defining as PFP NFTs. I'm saying like the new collections that launch once every month, and <clears throat> we've got you know hundreds of collections where you've got ten thousand per. Like that—that that is over.
0: Yeah, the the AI effect too, where it was like hard to create those in years past. Now it's just like you can spin up a 10k PFP co- like. When's the last time you saw anyone sell a 10k PFP collection?
1: I had we're skipping ahead to a flop, but I had a big flop on on that. Let's do the front. flop.
0: Let, let's do the flop.
1: Elementals, <laughs> Azuki Elementals was a, a objectively a hysterical thing to happen, which was like this super hyped NFT collection and everyone's like, man, I wonder what it's gonna look like. And it was the exact same. That was to me.
0: Just they're facing the opposite direction.
1: <laughs> and one of, yeah, the opposite direction. And it actually was one of the only times I've ever seen crypto behave perfectly efficiently. The price went down like exactly 50% in like a day. It was amazing. It's um, <laughs> 50% but,
0: less exciting now.
1: <laughs> yeah, but, but I, I don't know, Michael. I mean, I know. The one thing about PFP NFTs that still makes sense to me is that there is people will always pay for dumb status things. And there is this really neat little viral loop of people making it their profile pictures. You're already starting to see that again. And people in especially new ecosystems, when there's just like they've made dumb money, they look to buy dumb shit. And I sort of feel like NFTs, I don't know. I feel like NFTs will make their comeback. It it may be a niche thing, but it's not going to be anything like it was last
2: cycle. And even if we have a new cycle, I don't think, maybe it'll be like one or two collections. Maybe it'll be penguins, maybe it'll be punks, maybe it'll be board apes, who knows. But like two or three collections that have value and maybe there's IP that's built around it. Okay, sure. But that's there, you can't have like multiple trading venues and business models around, you know, like the, the massive amount of NFTs that are being created each month and people want to swap in and out of them. That's not coming yeah. back.
0: I do think punks will hit a new all time high. Same with like Fidenza's like, I think there's like very unique, interesting assets, where where I disagree if NFTs coming back is, I don't think that is enough for OpenSea to be like, you know, a $10 billion business again.
1: No comment on OpenSea, particularly, specifically, that's a challenge. Yeah, I, I don't I'd never like to root against anyone like they were the underdogs, they built it into a crazy business it's a really smart team. I'm sure they'll figure something out, but yeah, I think they're going to have to
0: figure something else out. Yeah. <laughs> just the high watermark for NFTs. Like, you know, like we like the OpenSea team. It's just like it, it, they have a great product. It's just, they're not going to be selling the same thing.
2: It's going to be, not gonna be And, and anecdotally uh, the games that are building NFTs that will have at least in game utility. None of them. I mean, maybe some of the high value assets, they're like, sure. You can put it on OpenSea if you want, but like, we want to control the marketplace for our game. Like the, the disintermediation of uh, marketplaces for NFTs is going to be the the other big kind of sub-trend here.
1: Interesting. Yeah. I guess you saw a little bit of that with Axie and their own marketplace, Theta Marketplace too, for that reason. We didn't get to it, but flops of 2023. Um, mm. Michael Lewis. Dude, that was my biggest loser. That, I had him as my sucked. biggest loser. Jesus. I mean, he just losing reputation too. on fire too. Like, Why? Like we did touch on it
0: multiple times.
1: He yeah, imagine <laughs> looking at SBF and being like, "This is the horse I'm going to back." I just, <laughs> I don't understand how he came to that conclusion. So, he was my biggest loser for 20, 2023.
0: I'm trying to think of my biggest loser for 2023. I You know, I mean, this is, this, it's no one in particular, but I think about this kind of every cycle, like people who sold the bottom and like didn't come back, like the the mental agony of watching something rip in your face is just excruciating. And it's like, exactly. it's a religious experience, you know, and oftentimes those people don't come back to crypto because, because it's just too much. And so, you know, you don't hear about these stories as much as you do about the guy who made, you know, a million bucks from a dog with a hat or whatever. But like we left a lot of people behind in 2022 and, you know, R.I.P.
1: R.I.P. I've got another uh, <laughs> I've got another flop, actually. The party that Board Ape Yacht Club hosted where they burned those people's eyes out. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. The wrong
0: lights. Dude, I um, was like, you have this can't be serious. And it was. It was. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Tough luck. Tough luck. Makes um, you think. What about uh, what about biggest winners for this year? Probably Sol and,
0: and Gito.
2: I was gonna say I was gonna say uh, Solana, but in particular person, probably Anatoly. Yeah.
0: yeah. Probably probably totally. um, yeah. I also think the builders won this year. It feels like the people who are left have very strong degrees of degrees of clarity about what to build. And like that's going to manifest over the next year. So like the people who stuck with it, really did well. The people who rotated to AI, that that might be another big flop. It's 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 seriously tough sledding in AI land right now. Like maybe not quite the bear market that crypto is going through, but you know big companies are winning, but everybody else is kind of getting crushed. There's a lot of YC companies that that went off and trudged up that hill.
1: Someone should make the uh calcanus inverse e t f same way that they did with uh <laughs> with uh, that was, that call to pivot to a i was like the exact that's got to be the exact bottom uh that was just well it
0: was that in the e c b calling for uh you know bitcoin to go to zero like those are the two tweets that it was like if we're not back now we 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 should be at some point
1: I had another one uh this was kind of the obvious one would be coinbase and uh brian yeah like yep. that guy has eaten glass for so many cycles and i mean th- going into this this uh bear market it was like they have way too many people they haven't shipped a good product in forever and then they just like chop their head count reduced their loss they shipped uh base they're doing all this stuff that just makes an enormous amount of sense and it just feels like no one has been positioned better like from a sent like they're awesome. Uh, I just like so root for that team. So they've got the exchange business base interests with circle. They've got staking. They're just murdering it on all fronts. So
0: J- Jesse Pollock too, is a big part of that. And it feels like he's been kind of like the MVP. Or I mean, like obviously Brian is the CEO and, and the guy who's calling the shots, but like Jesse has been the loyal foot soldier, Lieutenant, whatever you want to call him. And he's like, you know, I saw him at the build on base, Miami art, Basil, like, He's doing a stream there. He's like buying stuff on chain. He's like an avatar for, for what crypto could be. And I think it's just like cool to see like the next generation of folks step up and, and start leading.
1: Yep. Agreed. Uh, well, I already called it out a little bit. Actually, one other uh, group I wanted to give a shout out to was Udi and Eric on uh just Ordinals. Or, uh, you know, Taproot Wizards and uh, Casey, I guess at Ordinals too. Like it takes a really special type of person to be like, this thing is great. It's been sort of co-opted by a very religious <laughs> community of people. They're just going to yell at me and not thank me for what I'm doing, but I'm going to do it anyway. And yeah, I thought that was a very cool win for the year too.
0: But tough to do battles with the lunatics, you know. Yeah, but, I but agree. They, but they they took them head on, so definitely yeah. definite winner.
2: One more uh, prediction for 2024: um, the DeFi 1.0 founders have a massive
1: comeback tour. I. Heartily agree with that. Yep.
0: Yeah, bolstered bolstered by new, uh, young, like all the blockworks guys are in the in the synthetics community, which like we found out like this year they've got like a new group of core contributors. Like Maker kind of has the same thing. Uh, Ave is having a, a resurgence. Um,
2: and then I'd there's like uni some uni cool
0: ones. Yeah, well. Uni. 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 Exactly. There's there's also some cool ones like Sparkland, which is like come, kind of come out of nowhere, but is also part of the maker ecosystems. Like I think their yep. ecosystems will do well also, and that's kind of like the the super contrarian. Like a lot of those are like ten or a hundred million micro cap coins, um, which are similar to the dog hat you know themes, just small enough for other people trying to turn a thousand into ten thousand dollars.
1: And I just respect them, like they have been in one of the toughest. I mean, that's got to be one of the toughest business models ever across extreme volatility i just have so much respect for those guys so appreciate all you builders out there and i know we got to wrap it up here but uh guys it's been another fun year um and uh yeah guys this is this is a lot of fun to do so i just appreciate you guys and framework and this has been a awesome relationship from jason my perspective so appreciate you guys
0: thanks everyone for listening this year merry christmas happy hanukkah kwanzaa whatever you celebrate (laughs) 2024 let's get it yeah
2: Exactly. Thanks, Thanks, everyone. Peace, guys.